So we're going to continue on in our Ephesians series, and it so happens that we fall upon um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4 today. Um, Paul has been addressing each member of the household, the, the wives and the husbands, and now he gets to the children, and in particular, the fathers. And so I thought, uh, what should I do? Should I do a message just to mothers today? Uh, but as I thought about it more, I was like, you know what? I think, like what I said, I think what will bless mothers in particular is are fathers who are doing their job, taking it upon themselves, bearing the load, pressing on, as the song said, setting the pace. Uh, and so I think that, you know, this will, this will bless us. Um, and if, you know, you want to hear a sermon on children, honor your father and mother, I actually have a sermon on that from the Barunga Church in Exodus, where I preached on the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. So you can go back and listen to that if you want to hear that. I also just want to note that obviously some, um, not every family has a father involved. Uh, not everyone had a father um, present in their life. Um, but I think that as we study the scriptures, we can still learn and appropriate and apply it to whatever circumstance we're in and whatever context we come out of, um, because God's word is true and applicable. Um, and so if you're a single mom or a mom that doesn't have um, a dad that's particularly involved in the parenting of your child, God's word is still, in some ways, be able to be applied by you. Uh, because a lot of these things I'm going to say today um, are addressed to dads, but can be applied by mums as well. Uh, so we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. No, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. All right. Um, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Our God and heavenly father, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Well, one of the things which I think is true, probably about all humans, but particularly true about guys is that we like doing stuff that we're good at. Uh, stuff that, you know, we're competent in, we can score goals and be successful in. Uh, And so when we come across tasks which are difficult or we feel ill-prepared for or out of our league, we can have this tendency to want to run or hide from it. Maybe you can remember a subject you did at school or perhaps at uni. I remember stats, you know, intermediate stats. I was like, oh, my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I basically just gave up. Uh, But one particular scenario that reminds me is when I was playing soccer, I grew up playing in like the worst soccer teams because, you know, I'm uncoordinated. I got a lot of passion, but I spend most of my time on the ground. But when I moved down south into Helensburg, I joined the Helensburg Tigers, I think we were. And they only really had one team I could join. And it was actually full of really good soccer players. And so it was sort of this awkward reality where I was playing up front. I was tall. I was meant to be able to head the ball, but I missed it all the time. I was meant to be able to, you know, trap the ball and pass it at the right moments and cross it, but I I wasn't able to do it. And, you know, they were all very encouraging, but they were so good. I always just felt out of place. I felt like I shouldn't be on this team. Like, just put me on the bench and I'll, I'll get the water ready and I'll make sure everyone's encouraged and I'll have a bit of passion, but, you know, I shouldn't really be here. And so for the whole year, although I loved it and I loved watching them do it really well, I always had this feeling of like, ah, I'm so bad, I shouldn't be doing it. And I think when it comes to parenting, some of us guys can feel like that. We can feel this sense of just inadequacy, ill experience, like, what do you do with this thing? You know, you come home from the hospital and you're like, they're so cute, but I'm terrified. I have no idea what I'm meant to be doing. And then you look at your wife and by God's grace, somehow most of the time they seem to be, they just get it and there's this connection and and bit by bit, like they just spend all the time with them. You go back to work after paternity leave and they've got these rhythms and routines. And, and over time, you can kind of feel like, well, 
A, I don't really know what I'm doing. B, whenever I do something, it doesn't seem to work very well. So C, I'm just going to pass the ball to her and let her run with it because she seems to be dominating. I'll just get on the bench and I'll cheer from the sidelines. You go, girl. Uh, I think that can be a little bit, you know, of um, how a lot of guys deal with parenting. Uh, And in fact, that was my story. Um, I, you know, didn't really know what I was doing. I would be the happy, fun, you know, I'd come in and give lots of kisses and cuddles. But when it came to actually understanding leadership and and providing vision and direction and wisdom from the home, I passed the ball to Maddie. I said, Maddie, you do it, basically. Um, We never really talked about it, but it was just the implicit assumption. Maddie, you're on, you take it, you go with it. Uh, And in some ways, you know, we had like a lot of joy and a lot of peace. But because I wasn't stepping into the role that God had given me and I wasn't taking control of that, we also ended up accidentally falling into a whole bunch of wrong theories about parenting, uh, theories that weren't biblical, theories that weren't um, honoring to God. And they were actually more rooted in secular psychology than in what the Bible had to say. And so the problem was we ended up having... Um, you know, we were more led by the parenting blogs and books than by, you know, the book. Um, and we kind of s- started to believe that the Bible did not have all that much to say about parenting. And what it had to say seemed to be stuck in like a cultural time gap where they didn't really understand children and how the brain worked. And now we've come to understand this and, you know, the stuff about discipline and obedience and authority, like, Actually, that's quite negative. And, and so we went down a bit more of a different approach. But what we realized over time was that the fruit of our approach uh, wasn't desirable. Uh, we were anxious, frustrated. We were ruled by our kids. Um, we were, you know, slaves to their routine, slaves to their desires, slaves to their tantrums. Then we would, in response, throw adult tantrums um, and have lack of control. Um, And all of this came back to me Um, as the husband, as the head. I'd kicked the ball to Maddie and stepped out of the game. And Maddie was trying her best with the resources and the things, but I wasn't helping. I wasn't leading. I was on the bench getting the water bottles ready. In fact, so much so, we had this problem with a lot of the books is that I actually, this is a great book on parenting, Shepherding a Child's Heart. I actually took this book. Like if you read this book, there's a brilliant, real, I highly recommend it. I took this book and I threw it in the bin. So I had to buy a new copy recently because I threw my old one in the bin because I so hated this paradigm that the Bible had for parenting. The second thing I did, which was dumb, I even wrote a paper to Dave and Patrick because they were questioning some of my parenting ideas. I wrote a paper trying to disprove what they taught. Because I thought I'd got it right, they'd got it wrong, and I could show them from scripture how much better my way was. And then thirdly, to add to it, when I finally, so all this, you know, and they still sent me to Pastors College somehow. Finally, I'm at Pastors College, and it's week four of Pastors College, and we're doing parenting. And I'm there, and I'm just arguing the whole week with Bob Coughlin, who's a brilliant parent, with Brian Chesmore, who's CJ's son-in-law, who knows a thing or two about parenting. And I'm arguing with them, trying to come up with ideas, so much so that I even took upon myself to write my major paper for Pastors College on why discipline is not what the Bible teaches. So I wanted to disprove the, the conventional teaching about authority and discipline and physical correction um, in my theology paper. Well, the reality was is that I wasn't leading. I wasn't taking initiative. I was fearful of crushing my children's spirit um, and psychologically harming them. But ultimately, I was distrusting the Bible and what the Bible had to say and thought that I could figure out a better solution. But God in his mercy in week four of the pastor's college, he humbled me. He showed me just how wrong I really was. I had to, you know, make a fool of myself basically to get to that point. Because when I started to write my paper to try and argue against God's normal paradigm for parenting, which is the father's the boss and he's the leader and children to obey and to discipline and spanking and all that type of stuff. As I started to try and argue against it, I came across just the whole biblical worldview of God's ideal for parenting. God, in fact, that God himself is a father to Israel and he is the authority. 
to be obeyed. And when he isn't, he disciplines his children. And after the end of all that process, I had to you know, put my towel between my legs, <laughs> repent and be humbled. And what ended up happening was I started to embrace what the Bible had to say about parenting. I started to see that actually it's not just a little bit and, you know, optional commands. What God has to say about parenting is the best thing that could be said about parenting. What God has to say about parenting equips us for all of life and godliness. And when we started to embrace the biblical paradigm, the biblical methods, we started to see fruit that was enjoyable. So we used to have quite an up and down home, you know, happy, 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 but then uncontrolled and frustration. And we went from one side to the other. But as we started to submit to God's um, you know, plan and, and the way that he has actually ordained the families to be, we still had the happy, joyful, feasting, fun home. But it was because there was order, because there was control, because there was authority and hierarchy and structure. And because of all of that, we were able to flourish as a family. Because the reality is this, and we know this, children, we say this all the time, children are a blessing from the Lord. They are. Psalm 127 verse 3 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the the fruit of the womb a reward. But the other reality is true. The Bible says this, that children can also be a curse, not because they themselves are a curse, but because of how we parent them. Proverbs chapter 10 says this, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Proverbs 17, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to those who bore him, uh, to her who bore him. You see, children are a blessing, but it depends on how we parent them as to whether or not they remain a blessing or they become a curse. A common saying is you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. And that really is the reality of life. What we sow, we reap, whether for blessing or for curse. And so when it comes to figuring out this ideal of parenting and how it all works, if we want to flourish as families, if we want to bear fruit that is beautiful and good and true and, you know, amazing and what we want, the prosperity and joy we want for our family and our kids, if we want that, we must raise them according to the Bible's way and the Bible's worldview. There is no other way. So dads, though we may feel incompetent and I feel it still, though we may feel ill-equipped and I feel it still, though we may feel like failures in this, we are on the field and we're the captain and the ball's at our feet and we can't pass it to our wives too quickly. There, definitely, I'm not saying there's no role for wives. We're going to see that later on. But the ball's at our feet. And if we want our families to flourish, we have to play. So to flourish as families, remember, we've been saying this each week, we need to embrace our God-given roles and do our God-given duties. And so this week, here's our main point. Fathers are called to embrace their God-given role to disciple and discipline their children in the Lord. Fathers are called to embrace their God-given role to disciple and discipline their children in the Lord. And we're going to unpack that by two points this morning. And, And the hope is that what I'll do in the first point is make it outline the text and give the command, so to speak. And then in the second point, try and make it practical and flesh it out a little bit more. But one second, I'm just going to turn off my heater because I'm overheating over here. Give me a moment. Alrighty. Point number one. Fathers need to embrace intentional discipling and disciplining of their children. So that's point number one. 
Fathers need to embrace intentional discipling and disciplining of their children. Let's read Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 again. And notice who it begins with. Fathers. Oh, Maddie's just come in and I thought there was something wrong, but she's coming in for something else. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. This is Zoom Church. Um, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This fits in with the paradigm that we've been talking about each week, beginning at the first sermon we had on the family, that fathers are the head of the home. That is God's order for society, that it's God, fathers, mothers who have authority, but a different authority, and then children underneath. That's God's best. That's the way God's order. And so that's why when Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus, he addresses the fathers. The fathers weren't just culturally put in that position. They're ordained by God to be the leader of their home. God establishes the patriarchy. It's not a symptom, excuse me, of the fall. And so what that means is that as fathers, we have a God-ordained authority, a God-ordained responsibility, and a God-ordained accountability for how we go in that role. Author Ted Tripp in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, he's talking to parents in general, but it starts with the fathers here. Um, He says this, as a parent, as a father, you have authority because God calls you to be an authority in your child's life. You have the authority to act on behalf of God. As a father or mother, you do not exercise rule over your jurisdiction, but over God's. You act at his command. You discharge a duty that he has given you. You may not try to shape the lives of your children as pleases you, but as pleases him. So as fathers, as dads, we have been given an authority and a responsibility from God to raise our children according to his ways. We cannot, we can't pass the ball because the ball's at our feet and God put it there. Not culture, not male chauvinism, God himself. And so we have this grand privilege and responsibility to lead our homes in this way. Our authority is not a function, well, authority in the home is not a function of time and presence. Mums may be around their children more, but because God has ordained that we are the leader and the head, we have that authority by God's divine rule. Now, I used to not like that idea, the the dad's the authority. I I don't know, something in me was just like, it seems self-serving. It it seems like it was all about me and I didn't have that higher view of myself or this view that I should be the boss. And so I was like, ah, let's, you know, let's kind of get rid of that. But the reality is, is that what we need is good authority, not absent authority. And so we can redeem, as we've seen in previous weeks, this idea of a head. The head of the home isn't in it for his own privilege. He's there for the good and the flourishing of his household so that they would be blessed. So that he lays, like he lays down his life for his wife, he lays it down for his kids. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, verse four, that authority does not equal being a dictator dad. So I was a bit of a doormat dad, but it doesn't mean now you flip and you become dictator dad. It's like, all right. Boss is here. Get in here. Go, go, go. This is what we're doing. Go in. No, sorry for yelling. Um, that's, that's not what God is calling us to do. Look at verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So in this context, the, the, the Roman father literally had authority over everything in the home. Um, he could even discard a child if he didn't want it. Um, so he could put a child on the rubbish heap much like abortion today, um, if he didn't want the child, if it was going to be an inconvenience or if it was the gender that he didn't like or if it looked sickly. 
So the fathers had this absolute role in uh, rule in the in the um, Ephesian church, and Paul is saying, okay, you've got this authority, but do not abuse it. Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not be a dictator, dad. What does it look like to provoke your children to anger? Well, I, I was reading a book and they kind of came up with four different things. You know, you can provoke your children to anger by just being unreasonable, harsh, demanding. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't look into the, the, the child's frame and, you know, when they drop something because they're, you know, one and a half years old, you chastise them for it. That's unreasonable. That's provoking them. Another way to provoke them to anger is to be fault finding. So you're always looking to correct. You're always looking to punish. You're always like, oh, yeah, you did that wrong. Uh, that was a good drawing, but you missed this. Or you, and I can fall into this. Oh, you missed, nice card, but you misspelt this word. That's provoking our children. That's kind of asserting our authority in a way that we don't need to. Another way to provoke them to anger, to be dictated dad, is actually the opposite. It's to neglect. It's just not to be there, to be absent so that they always feel unloved uncared for, unknown. And finally, it's inconsistency. The kids are always on edge because they don't know which dad is going to come home. Is it doormat dad? Is it dictator dad? Is it don't disturb me dad? You know, which dad is going to come home? And so kids are always on edge and it can provoke them later in years to rebellion and frustration. So fathers, we're called to be the, the authority. We're called to be the boss. And it's a loving authority, not a dictatorial one, which is why Paul begins his command with, don't provoke your children to anger. In Colossians, it talks about not embittering their or discouraging their souls. So a question for us to think about, um, us fathers, who would the kids think is the real boss of the home? Who would the kids say, they're the real boss. And hopefully for all of us, the answer would be, yeah, dad's the real boss. But what does it look like to actually be the boss? Okay, so we are the boss, so to speak, in that kind of language. We are the authority. We are the leader. But what do we do? Well, that leads us to our second idea within the first point. Sorry, there's a few sub points, but just bear with me. So fathers, that was the first thing. Fathers are called to do something, all right? They're called to embrace intentional discipling and disciplining of their children. Okay. So fathers are called to embrace discipling and disciplining their children. It's not just that we're the boss and we get to do whatever we want. No, we're given a curriculum from God. Okay. We have a curriculum and we are like teachers that have to obey it and report back to him on what we've done and show evidence of our learning um, for the teachers. You know what I'm talking about. So we need to embrace discipling. Look at what Paul goes on to say. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead, what are we meant to do? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'd always looked over those words, bring them up. Um, Until recently, when I realized that in the text, Those words, bring them up, is the same word that Paul uses for nourishing your wife. So the same word that Paul says, husbands, you know, in Ephesians 5.28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. That word nourishes there is the same word used for fathers and children. So in the same intentional way that we're to think about our our wives and how we can best love them and help them to nurture and love the Lord and live and be prospered and blessed, we're to have the same perspective with our kids. Bringing our children up is not the role of the mother primarily. It's the role of the father. I am to bring up my children. I am to be the chief discipler of my kids. So if someone asks you, Hey, who are you discipling at the moment? Well, Evie, Jasper, and Judah, first and foremost. foremost. I'm meant to be nourishing them, bringing them up. And that means that we must be present. 
We must be intentional and we can't delegate this whole facet of bringing the kids up to our wives. This is our calling. But brothers, as you know, this doesn't happen easily. It's much easier to devote ourselves to our work, to our hobbies, even to our home duties, because we feel more competent, we feel more successful than we do feeling in bringing up our children. But this is our calling. We are to be the disciple makers of our children. Children are like um, young trees. When planted, a tree can kind of bend and go all different ways. And sometimes uh, you've seen those trees in, in the bush and you're like, how did it end up going out like that? Well, that's what happens when a tree is left to itself. It can grow in whichever direction the wind blows over time and and the roots and the soil. Well, our children are like little trees that need to be nurtured and brought up by us. And we need to kind of put the fence post around them and, and tie the rope in so that the tree grows up straight. Because once the tree is fully mature and grown, we've lost our opportunity to nurture them. We can't bring up a child once it's a 50 year old oak tree. You know, it's, it's not going to move, okay? So we have the urgency to bring them up now while they're young and set them on their course from birth so that they actually flourish and grow in the way that God has designed. So how do we do this? How do we, as fathers, bring up our children? Well, Paul goes on, he says this, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So he uses two words here that refer to education. The first word discipline um, likely means physical discipline. Uh, That was a common way of using it, but it can also mean the general education of a child. Uh, The second word instruction there uh, means most likely means verbal um, instruction, often rebuke, correction, training. um, And the, the implication of the word is that there's a resistant mind that needs instruction. Um, So it's not like kids are sitting there going, teach me. Yeah, I want to know everything, Father. No, no. Instruction involves, you know, forceful communication at times, um, clear communication, and it involves discipline. So the curriculum we've been given is to disciple and instruct our children of the Lord. So it's not like just how to become epically wealthy, how to be a good man just in general, how to be a sports star, how to you know, be a good a student. Um, it's not about all those education, all those things. It's of the Lord. So we are to discipline and train them in the way of Jesus. We are to disciple them. Okay, so just like Jesus discipled his followers, we are to disciple our little followers or slightly bigger or however old your kids are. Clinton Arnold says it like this. Every child needs to be homeschooled, whether they go to a public school or Christian school or not. Parents need to engage their children in what they are learning in their school education, discuss this and correlate it with the biblical world view. You see, we can't outsource our parenting to the school even if it's a Christian school. We can't outsource our parenting to Abby and SG kids. We can't outsource our parenting anywhere because God's put the ball at our feet. We are to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that means teaching them to live in God's world, God's way for God's glory in all of life. So the particular things that we are meant to teach them are given uh, first and foremost in verses one through three. So what am I meant to teach my, so I get it. I'm a father, I'm the leader. Okay. So I'm meant to bring them up or I get it in the discipline instruction of the Lord. Okay. What am I meant to do? Well, I think the first step from this passage is we need to train our children in verses one through three. So let's go back and read those verses. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. This is the curriculum that every kid needs. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. 
You see, if we want our kids to prosper and it, for it to go well with them and for them to be fruitful and to enjoy life, then the curriculum we need to give them is to teach them how to honor and obey their parents. There's a direct link between that command, the fulfillment of that command and their blessing. Now, it's not a one-to-one thing that there's never any occasions where you parent a kid right and they turn out wrong. But in general, this is a promise to Christian parents. So dads, we need to teach our children what those two words mean. What does it mean to obey mom and dad? And what does it mean to honor? And I think Paul Tripp has helped me the most in giving me these definitions. So I'll share them with you. So this is what we need to bring them up to know. This is foundation number one. You basically can't do any parenting unless you get these ones right. Okay, so take out a pen if you need to, but I'll send out the manuscript later. What is obedience? To obey is a willing submission to my parents that causes me to do what I am told without challenge, without excuse, without delay. So when the Bible says children obey and leave that, leave that up, children obey your parents in the Lord. I think this is really, you take, what does it mean to obey God? It doesn't mean like obey him later. It means now, if God says, do not commit adultery, you don't commit adultery. There's no challenge. There's no excuse. There's no delay. And God has actually instituted that parents have his authority. That parents are God's representatives to the kids. So when a parent makes a command that's reasonable and biblical, a child ought to obey with a willingness in their heart, without challenge, not like, hey, what about, uh," without excuse, oh, I I just didn't, and without delay. It shouldn't take them five minutes to do what you asked. It should be prompt and cheerful. Now, that's the high standard, and it, it doesn't go from zero to, you know, obedience in one day, which is why we're called to train them in it. We have to actually train our kids how to do that. No child is born knowing how to obey their parents. They don't, they're sinners. They're cute, but they're sinful. That's why they learn how to say no and hit really quickly because that's their way of saying, no, I'm not obeying you. I'm not honoring you. Go away. Okay. We, We don't have to train them to do that. They do that naturally. So we have to train them to do it so that they'll be blessed. The second thing we have to train them to do is to honor their parents. And this one is even harder because you got to teach your kids to respect you and honor you and revere you. And it can get uncomfortable because you're like, I'm not that great. Don't respect and honor me. But you got to remember that you stand in place of God and that the way that they treat you is how they will treat God. So you're teaching them how to worship God by how they respect you. So Paul Tripp explains it like this. To honor your father and mother is to treat them with respect and esteem because of their God-given position of authority. So to honor your father and mother is to treat them with respect and esteem because of their God-given position of authority. That means kids aren't to address their parents as a peer. We're not mates with our kids. Now, we do have a friendship, but we're not on the same level. We are above them. And they need to know that because God is above them. And children are not to give commands to their parents. One of the tragedies of modern parenting, and we fell into this, is that we actually celebrate when kids show defiance and give us commands. We're like, oh, they're strong-willed and they're they're independent. No, they're sinful and it's wrong. And that's why... Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Common grace teaches us that children should obey their parents, but our modern world celebrates the reverse. Children honor their parents by obeying straight away and not giving commands to you. And as a parent, you ought to teach them their their role in God's order by not allowing them to give you commands and certainly by not obeying their commands when they give them to you. Now, a command is different to a request. It's a different to a plea, but we must keep the order intact because what's the consequence? Well, if children do not obey and they do not honor, they are sinning. They're sinning against God. 
And so for us not to enforce it, for us not to bring them into instruction and discipline is actually to allow them to pile up sin after sin after sin before God. And it means that they will miss out on the reward that God has for them. We get a bit nervous as evangelicals talking about blessings and rewards based on obedience. But that's what Ephesians 6 says. So I'm going to go with it and trust that maybe we got someone else wrong in our theology somewhere else if we're scared of blessings and prosperity and reward. Okay. Final thing. So three things in the first point. This is like a whole conference worth of material. Fathers, you're the head. Secondly, you're the disciple. What do you do when kids don't do what you want them to do? Well, the third thing dads are meant to do is discipline their children. Okay. We have to discipline our kids. Um, it's love to them. God disciplines us. He, you know, discipline is a sign of sonship. That's what Hebrews 12 says. And so fathers, we are the active and primary setters of discipline in the home. Um, we're given two tools in this passage, two tools for discipline. Tool number one is communication. That's instruction. Tool number two is the word discipline, which is physical discipline. Those two tools are to be used by godly parents to help their child to stay in God's realm of blessing, to live God's way in God's world. So physical correction and verbal correction, discipline and instruction of the Lord. To abandon either one of those tools is to abandon your child in outside of God's blessing and promise. Now, Christians have different ideas about the role of physical discipline and spanking, but as much as I tried to get out of it when I studied it, it is the clear pattern in scripture that one of the ways in which parents can train their children to follow God is through the use of physical discipline. Discipline that's never out of anger, discipline that's never out of embarrassment, discipline that's never out of punishment, discipline that's never to wound or to inflict damage. Physical discipline, biblically defined, is for the good of the child, which is why Proverbs 22.15 says this, Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Our children are born with folly and foolishness in their hearts. But one tool that God has given us that is often neglected is the rod, is physical discipline. And it can be used to bless our kids, as, as weird as that may sound. Okay. And the reason why, and I already mentioned this, but the reason why our physical and instructive verbal discipline is so important is because that is love to our kids. It is not love to neglect a child and allow them to do what they want. It is not love for it to let a child find him or herself. No, no, no. They need to be taught who they are through the gospel. They need to be taught God's order and pattern in the world. In fact, it's the opposite. To not discipline our children is hateful neglect. That's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Discipline your son, Proverbs 19, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. The reality is, is that God has called us to discipline our children so that they will be blessed. Okay, this is not about us. Dads and, and moms, we die to ourselves. Discipline is painful. Discipline is tiring. Discipline is exhausting. It's, it's annoying to have to do it. So we're not doing it for us. Ultimately, we're doing it for them so that they will be blessed and live long in the land. And if we withhold it, we're consigning them to sin and live outside of God's presence and blessing and dwelling. Um, and I don't think any of us want to do that. Okay, so putting it all together, fathers are called to intentionally disciple and discipline their children in the Lord. And if we embrace this God-given role, our children will 
flourish. This will work because God promises it. Okay, I can say that confidently and clearly. I've seen it. I've seen it in many lives. You follow the biblical pattern and by God's grace and only by his grace, he is faithful to reward those who seek him. So that's point number one. And that's, that's pretty much all my time. I don't even know if I should go and I'm going to try and briefly go through point number two. It is briefer. Trust me. Um, just a few points of application. Uh, I think that they will be helpful. So point number two is this, how does this look practically? Well, point number two, simply fathers need to practice intentional discipling and disciplining of their children. It's all good to have it in theory, but we're only blessed in our doing. Uh, we will only see the fruit of our parenting if we actually do the parenting part of it. Okay. So it's no good subscribing, ticking to the theology. And that's good theology. Great. Let's go. Uh, we actually need to do it um, so that our family flourishes and are blessed. And the result is um, fathers, we have to die to ourselves to make this happen. We have to lay down our preferences, even times our career progression, um, even times our hobbies, our interests, our recreation, because this is more important and this is more valuable. Well, it ought to be nonetheless. So a few points of application. Ready? Discipling and disciplining your children means you are purposefully present. Okay. Discipling and disciplining your children means you are purposefully present. The only way you can disciple and discipline your children, fathers and all parents, is if you're there. And you're there not just in body, but in spirit. You're there with love. You're there with joy. You're there with intention. You're there with encouragement. You're there not on your phone like I often am all too often. You're there. And you're there loving them and training them and looking out for them and correcting them and, and giving them ideas and, and showing them the best way to live. We have to be purposeful. Proverbs 23 verse 26 is a great goal for every father. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. This is purposeful, intentional parenting. Give me your heart, son. If I have your heart, I can disciple you. If you, if I, if you have my trust and I have your trust, we can go a long way. Watch me, son, daughter, watch me. Watch how I live. Watch how I honor and obey God. That's how you're to do it. So we must be purposefully present. Secondly, disciplining, discipling, sorry, and disciplining your children means you have a plan. Brothers, boys, we need a plan. You know, we need a schedule. It's got to be in there. Otherwise, it isn't going to happen. Just like every coach gives a game plan before, we need a plan. What are we going to do? How are we going to get from where we are now to having oak trees of sons and daughters that produce amazing fruit? Well, Richard Phillips in his book, Masculine Mandate, gives a really simple game plan, which I highly recommend. He says this, four things to disciple your kids. Read with them, pray with them, work with them, play with them. Okay, so read the Bible with them. Have a plan of going through scripture reading with them as appropriate to their age. Pray with them. Model what prayer looks like to the father and teach them to pray. Thirdly, work with them. Take them with you as much as you can on any duty, any job, any task. Hey, come with me. Hey, we're going to the shops. Hey, we're going to do this. Hey, we're going to fix the fence. Hey, we're going to mow the lawn. Hey, we're going to do the washing up. Let's do it together. Because it's in all those little times you get so many opportunities. And finally, number four, play with them. We win their hearts and we win their souls by having fun. So this isn't like fathers, you know, uh, teach, teach, educate a principal, you know, no fun. This is all rules. I don't know. The Bible's vision of the father is this joyful feasting giant of a man who loves his family and enjoys them. And so be that man. Read, pray, work, and play. 
Number three, disciplining and discipling your children doesn't mean you do it alone. Okay, so I've been talking to the fathers about fatherhood, about parenting, but dudes, like we cannot do this on our own. I mean, we all know that. <laughs> so don't be like, well, move aside, lady. It's me now. All the parenting comes down to me. No, no, no. The, the command is children, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. Okay, so what we need to do is work as a team. You're just the captain of the team. Now, your wife is probably going to know way more about the kids and be far more attuned to what's going on than you are. So use her knowledge. She's the, you know, she's the one studying the game videos and you're saying, hey, what do we need to do? All right, I'll get it done. Hey, what do they need to grow in? All right, let's, I'm going to work on that. Hey, what's their sins that I need to correct them in? Oh, okay, let's do that. So you work as a team for the glory of God. And in that, fathers, you need to delegate authority and responsibility to your wives. So if you're a dad that works out of home, before you leave the home, I think Richard gave us a good example of this when we are having a chat the other night. He sits his kids down and says, you know, I'm the boss. Here's the rules. Now your mom is in charge today. I'm at work. So she's in charge. And I'm going to be checking in on how you went in obeying and honoring her when I come home. Then on a good day, when he comes home, he checks in with Rebs. How did the kids do? And then reports back to the kids. And it's become a pattern and a habit for them now so that when he gets home, they're like, hey, dad, dad, guess what? We were beat. They already, well, they already tell the report, whether or not it's true, Richard has to find out from Rebs. But at least they're aware that dad has delegated authority to mom. And to disobey mom is to disobey dad, to disobey God. And we need to do that. So this doesn't mean we do it on our own, brothers. We do it as a team and we do it with the church. And for moms who are, who are on their own, you don't need to do it on your own too. The church, friendships, other potential role models in their lives can be employed. Number four, discipling and disciplining your children requires dependence on the Lord. All of this is by grace, brothers. I talked about promise to blessing and, you know, obedience to blessing, but all of that is only God's grace. God could have not given a promise with honor your father and mother. He could have said, honor your father and mother. That's it. But in his grace, he wants to bless families. He wants children to take dominion and spread and be fruitful in the earth. And so we need to be depending upon grace from God. We can often feel like both of our shoelaces are tied together and our pants around our ankles and we're like an embarrassment to all the world as a parent, as a dad. But if you feel like that, you just need to repent and just believe the gospel that you are a failure, but that he died for your failures and that he can redeem them and work them for good. So don't, you know, don't be on the ground, you know, in shame and embarrassment, just moping. Repent and by God's grace, get it right. Pick up a book on parenting. Get shepherding a child's heart out of the bin and read it again. Talk to, the, you know, talk to each other, discuss ideas, confess your failures and ask for God's grace. And, you know, and Jesus has paid for all of your failures. And so don't live in shame. The shame is defeated. Now walk in the newness of life. Finally, disciple and discipline your children knowing that your time is short. A parenting quote that helped me a lot early on was this. The days are long, but the years are short. It won't be long before our children have advanced and they are out of the home. It won't be long before, you know, the, the obedience we can command over a young child. You can't over a teenage boy or girl. It won't be long before we're relying almost exclusively on influence, not rules, in order to train them and disciple them. The years, well, the days are long and we all feel it. Every night when I get to praying with the kids in bed, I'm like, again, we've got to do this again. But the years are short. You know, you might have 10 or 15 years left for some of your kids. That's all you got. And then they're an oak tree and they're pretty much immovable, save a miracle of God. That's why Proverbs 22 verse 6 says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
This is true both ways. Train them well, and they will not depart from the good ways you taught them. Train them poorly, and they will find it very, very difficult to escape the poor, bad habits of disobedience and dishonor that they learned by implicit, um, implicitly in your home. The time is urgent. We don't need to be anxious or like, oh my gosh, they disobeyed me today. Oh, everything's ruined. No, no. But we need a sense of urgency that I've got this one chance. My little tree is a sapling. I want to direct it and bend it for the glory of God. So therefore, do not wait to start training your children until they're old. Start from birth and teach them all their days. And we've act- I've actually seen the fruit of that. We were late on Evie and Jasper, but I've actually started being far more intentional with Judah. And I've been surprised at how receptive and how much an infant can learn if you're intentional and thinking about it. So brothers, discipline and disciple your children knowing that your time is short. All right. So to finish off, to put it all together, to flourish as families, we need to embrace our God-given roles and practice our God-given duties. And fathers, we are called to embrace and practice discipling and disciplining our children in the Lord. Children have a duty to honor and obey. Fathers have a duty to disciple and discipline so that our families will be an ordered, fruitful force for the global glory of Jesus. And that's the end goal. We want to see our kids love Jesus, honor Jesus, live for Jesus, obey Jesus, teach their kids about Jesus, who teach their kids about Jesus, who bring up other children in the church and disciple other kids in our church to know Jesus. So all of our parenting, it's not about our fame, our reputation, our family. It's about Jesus. And that ought to motivate us and empower us to pursue it for his glory and not our own. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you have not left us on our own. You've given us your word and your word is clear. Deuteronomy 6 teaches us that we are to train our children as we walk by the way and in everything we do. The whole book of Proverbs teaches us how to train a son and a daughter in the way they should go. And Ephesians 6 gives us this beautiful vision that if we do discipline and instruct them in the Lord, our children will be blessed. So God, I pray a blessing on the families. I ask particularly for dads that you would help us to run on the field with their jersey on, ready to go. Would you equip us as dads? Would you help us to admit where we fail? Would you help us to repent quickly and change even faster? And Lord, I pray for moms that they would be blessed and that they would know how to operate in this new reality, potentially where it may be a bit jarring as as dad finds his footing, trying to lead more and trying to set the standard for the home. Would you help moms to respectfully submit and respectfully work together as a team as, you know, some of her territory may be now changing and, and being encroached on and it may just be uncomfortable. I just pray for grace in that ahead of time, Lord. And we ask, Lord, for all those who have experienced poor fathers, poor mothers in their life, that you would communicate your grace to them and that you would help them to know your love even today on Mother's Day. And for those who cannot have children or have experienced childlessness, Lord, I do ask that you would fill them with a special measure of your love, care, and concern. And Lord, you are close to the brokenhearted. You are close to those who are weak in spirit. And so, Lord, would you be close to those who are particularly finding today a grieving day? And we pray all this.